All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Jazz's Last Call. I am Brian Zimmerman, executive editor of Jazz's Magazine. Uh, happy to have you here with us tonight. We're coming in a little bit early, under the wire, fashionably early, you could say, because we got a little bit of a different vibe uh, for this video. It's going to just be me, and our guest today is hopefully going to be you, everyone watching. So I encourage, if you are watching and you are excited to talk about your favorite album, covers in jazz uh, and you know someone else who might be interested in sharing your favorite album color album covers in jazz click that share button uh, go ahead and let the world know you're watching and hopefully we can make this thing a real jam session a real hang but you know a lot of you hear me talk each episode about our upcoming fall 2020 issue we're working on it now. We're getting it very close to finished. And, and it's an exciting issue because it is all about the art of the album. That's the working title of this issue. What do we mean by the art of the album? Well, listening to albums, which is in and of itself a fine art, uh, producing albums, collecting albums. We've got an excerpt from the book Pressed uh, for All Time by Michael Jarrett in there. Uh, we have an essay by jazz writer Neil Tesser about the history and origin of the concept album in there. Uh, we've got an interview with Blue Note president Don Was in there. Uh, and the cover and the story that I happen to be working on is about album cover art. Uh, it can be so iconic. We've all been there, right? The album cover that catches your eye from the record store window uh, back when there were record stores and back when you were able to go out and about and stroll past record store windows. Uh, but it's just something about these iconic albums that really draw you in. Uh, it's like you can hear the music playing before you even drop the needle on it. And that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. In the article for the issue, we talked to five present day designers uh, who are working on some of today's most eye-catching albums and asked them about their favorite cover designers. So it's a kind of designers on designers type article. Um, so in the spirit of that story, I decided tonight I'm going to share with you my favorite album cover designs. And I invite you watching uh, to do the same. You can let us know what your favorite album cover is in the comments. A few of you already have. Lavinia Dreamweaver, hey Lavinia, how you doing, has uh, shared some album covers by The Rippingtons, uh, by Ken Navarro, uh, by Kayla Waters, some really, really nice album covers up here on the Facebook page. So again, if you're watching and you want to do the same, drop an album cover into the comments. Let us know which ones are your favorite. You know, speaking of issues, I just want to say that, uh, and cool covers, our summer 2020 issue is out right now. Here it is. It's all about the age of fusion. That's the theme of this one. Nice cover story on Chick Corea in there. Um, it has already be been mailed to subscribers, uh, but fortunately, all of the content from this print issue has been digitized. It's available as web content on our website. Now, you will need a digital subscription to read those articles. Uh, and fortunately, we're offering a special subscription rate for Jazz's Last Call viewers. You subscribe now. You get all of the content in this print issue, plus all of our previous print issues. Plus, we will enroll you to receive our forthcoming Art of the Album issue completely for free. So you get three months of digital access. Plus, come September, when that fall issue comes out, you will receive it 
in your mailbox. You have all this great content to listen to. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and get into uh, today's episode. You know, we start with a toast. Uh, this one is to all of you watching. And uh, if any of you watching have a toast, feel free to drop that in the comments as well. But here's my sparkling water. Uh, cheers to you, everyone. You know, I think it's important before we really start this conversation about our favorite album covers. And like I said, we all have them. There are those album covers that catch your eye on, you know, someone's credenza or at a garage sale. You just have to have it. Kind of talk about the history of album covers because it's pretty fascinating. You know, prior to the 1940s, album covers really weren't a thing um, because those early 78s, you know, those tiny shellac discs, which were the first records, really were sold. It was five minutes of music. So when they were sold, it was usually in loose paper bags, blank cardboard sleeves. If anything, it had the name of the song, because that's all you got. Five minutes was really one song. Name of the song, maybe the producer of the album, and that was it. Well, some marketing geniuses in the 1940s thought, uh, you know, if somebody wanted to listen to a long classical work, they would need someplace to store these records. So they invented something called the album, uh, and it was named after uh, photo albums, and it essentially served the same purpose. You know, you'd insert a bunch of records into this book-like photo album and carry it around, much like those CD cases we all had back in the day. Remember, you'd like lug those around on long car rides or whatever. Same deal. You'd put all your albums in there, and that would be your, uh, you know, record album, much like a photo album. Well, you know, in time record companies started to sell multi-disc compilations uh, in themes, you know, 10 records about a single artist, 10 records of a single work. Um, and that would be the quote unquote record album. In time, you know, with the invention of 45 RPM records and then long play LP records, you know, you could increase the amount of music on every record and kind of diminish the need for these huge multi-pack album record, you know, record album things. Um, but this idea of having a thematic, you know, conceptual album stuck, um, everything unified by a single artist, by a single theme. Um, and that's where the name album came from. Um, and then in 1940, a graphic designer for the Columbia Records label named, uh, named Alex Stanweiss, had the idea to, instead of just sell an album cover with text, he wanted to throw an image on there. And what he did was he superimposed uh, an image of the Imperial Theater onto the record Smash Hits by Rogers and Hart. Um, and lo and behold, that was the first album cover. So we can credit Alex Steinweiss, again, this graphic designer from Columbia Records in 1940 uh, for creating the first album cover. And so that is actually my number one pick for favorite album covers of all time. Jeff, if you are uh, manning the controls back there, if you could put that album cover up, it is, uh, again, Smash Hits by Rodgers and Hart from Columbia Records in 1940, considered, widely considered uh, by scholars and critics, the first graphic album cover. And let's see if we can get that up. Perhaps I can do it. Mm -hmm. Bear with us, folks. You know how it is, these technical difficulties. Anyways, I want you to see this because it is pretty cool. Here we go. 
So yeah, check that out. This is 1940, 1940s Columbia Records smash hits by Rogers and Hart. Alex Stanweiss, Steinweiss, I'm sorry, designed the cover, superimposed the awning, the marquee of the Imperial Theater, and lo and behold, the first album cover uh, was created. So this is number one on my list of my favorite album covers of all time. Uh, we will move right along to number two. And as I do that, let's see if uh, anyone ha else has chimed in on Facebook. We see Smooth Jazz Family saying hello. Hello to you, Smooth Jazz Family. Again, if you're watching, you want to let us know where you're watching from or let us know about your favorite album cover of all time. Please do. Uh, number two is the Lester Young Trio by probably one of the most iconic designers in jazz. Uh, so this is an album by Lester Young, Lester Young Trio, recorded in 1951 on Norman Granz's label. But this version that I'm showing you was released in 1953 on Clef Records. The designer of this album cover is David Stone Martin. And if you talk to album uh, current album designers, this name pops up a ton. David Stone Martin did a lot of work for Verve Records back in the 50s. You may have seen his Charlie Parker with Strings album cover. You may have seen his Diz and Bird album cover. He did all the album covers for uh, Live at the Philharmonic, that Norman Grant series. And he's instantly recognizable because of these bold ink lines, these kind of squiggly characters that are sort of abstract, but you know, very much concrete. You know this is Lester Young here with the sideways horn and the hat. Um, the designers I talked to really had a lot of respect for David Stone Martin. He said that he was able to capture these jazz musicians' essence uh, through character, but never, you know, exaggerated them. Never made them look, you know, cartoonish. Um, and that's certainly the case here. This is a not only is the mute the cover great, but the music is excellent too. The trio that this album name refers to is, of course. Lester Young uh, on sax, Buddy Rich on drums, and Nat King Cole on piano. Cole was credited, however, <laughs> under the name A Guy, as an A-Y-E guy. Some contractual conflict there, I'm sure, and he couldn't go on the record as uh, as uh, Nat King Cole, so he's credited here as A Guy. Still not the best fake name in jazz, though. That belongs to Buckshot LaFunk, uh, who was really cannibal Adderley, but he appeared on an album due to a contractual conflict as Buckshot LaFunk. Branford Marsalis would take that name years later in the 90s uh, and use it for his incredible kind of hip-hop crossover band, Buckshot LaFunk. But got people uh, writing in here. Let's see. He's got uh, the Richard Rodgers and Lester Young covers are great and so different. You're absolutely right. I love the kind of uh, old-school superimposition of that first, um, you know, Richard Rodgers and Hart album and the Lester Young, just that those animated lines by David Stone Martin are just so cool. Thanks, Joyce. Uh, Third Street Jazz is telling us we're pork pie all winter. Very hip. I used to have a pork pie. I should have worn it tonight. I went with the Mets cap instead because the hair was just not cooperating. Uh, see someone, Gary, mentioning Bitches Brew. Spoiler, Gary, uh, it's coming up for sure. But uh, yeah, thanks for writing win, everyone. Like I say, if you got album covers that just are your all-time favorites, you know, you could frame them on the wall. They're so beautiful. Write in, let us know about it. We'll get to them on air. Um, we are going to move right along, though, to the next album on our list. Uh, when you talk about iconic um, album cover designers, you cannot leave out 
Reed Miles. Reed Miles did so much work for Blue Note Records uh, in the mid-century. Mid His style is almost synonymous with Blue Note. When you close your eyes and think of a Blue Note record, you're probably uh, envisioning the work of Reed Miles. My favorite uh, work of his, it was kind of a collaborative effort, uh, was John Coltrane's Blue Train, released on Blue Note in 1958, I want to say. And if I'm wrong, someone write in and tell me. This is actually John Coltrane's only recording as a leader uh, for Blue Note Records. He appeared elsewhere as a sideman on a couple albums. I'm thinking of one by like Sonny Clark. Uh, this is his only recording as a leader. And uh, Francis Wolfe, famous, you know, uh, Blue Note executive and, and photographer, amateur photographer, captured uh, John Coltrane doing, during these sessions. And uh, yeah, I mean, that photo says it all. A genius at work, contemplating the music, uh, really at peace in his environment. That photo was handed over to Reed Miles, who kind of cast it in this very cool blue shade. Uh, uh, Reed Miles' uh, typography is so iconic. He kept it minimal so that you could really focus on Coltrane's face and kind of contemplate what might he be thinking. Um, but yeah, this record is absolutely one of my favorites. And uh, years later, Blue Note would release a compilation of recordings by John Coltrane as a sideman for Blue Note and would use a similar photo from the same broadsheet by Francis Wolf. Um, and again, just kind of captured that same magic. So Blue Train, again, a great album uh, in terms of music, but for that album cover, uh, you, you've probably seen this framed. You've probably seen this up in jazz clubs. It is absolutely iconic. Uh, Third Street Jazz is saying it. Train has a lollipop in his mouth too. Hey, he was what from what I've heard, he was big into candy. Uh, you know, he liked his candy and uh, you can't blame him. But I just, it, it, to me, it's the face of a genius at work. Um, so we will move right along to the next one now. And that would be, let's see if we could pull it up. That would be, I spoiled it a little bit earlier, but yes. Bitches Brew from 1970, Miles Davis. It wouldn't be a famous album cover show without mentioning Bitches Brew, Miles Davis' iconic work from 1970. The album cover was designed by a German painter named Mati Klarwein. Um, this cover, to me, it just it says so much about the music inside. You know, uh, if there was ever a, an album cover that communicated what was behind the album, this was it. Um, it you got to remember, this was 1970. This was a transition from the 60s to the 70s. This was really a major statement uh, for fusion music for Miles Davis, uh, coming off of A Silent Way, which was kind of moving toward fusion. But Bitches Brew absolutely cracked it open. From what I've heard about these recording sessions, it was wild. It was experimental. The musicians performing didn't even know what the music was going to sound like. Um, and when everything came together... This album cover just kind of summed it all up. It's psychedelic. It's Afrocentric. It's just kind of surrealistic, Dadaist. It is beautiful. And you just, it brings you back to the time where you'd be listening to an album and have the actual album cover in your hands so that you could look in it, get lost in it, read through the liner notes. And with the digitization of music, 
we may have lost a little bit of that. And if you're watching, write in, let me know. How do you feel about digitized music? Is it the same as back in the day when you would drop the needle on an album and you kind of had to be there the whole time because in a few minutes you had to flip the thing over. Uh, so share some of those memories as well. I would love to hear that. Um, okay, we will move on to, this is my fifth, if we're starting from the Steinweiss uh, album, this is my fifth, so this will uh, actually end the list, but I've got a few bonuses. Uh, but I wanted to go really recent, something modern for this last album on the list. And so I went with, ooh, did that work? It is, it's supposed to be Nora Jones. Let's see, Jeff, can we get that to work? There it is, Nora Jones, Come Away With Me. Um, this was released in 2002, again, on the Blue Note label. And this album essentially introduced Nora Jones to the world. Uh, this was her debut studio album. Um, a lot of buzz was surrounding Nora Jones. I mean, here was this very talented singer-songwriter coming out of Texas, had incredible jazz chops, but also had this, you know, was going her own way in folk music as well. Um, and I just love the expression on her face on this album, just kind of looking away but it's as if the photographer captured all of the potential, you know, for that Nora Jones would bring into this world. She was like in her 20s. This came out in 2000. We recorded in 2001, came out in 2002. Um, she was in her early 20s and was about to, you know, really just change the world with her music. This album would go on to become not only one of the best-selling albums in jazz, but one of the best-selling albums in music, millions and millions of copies. Um it's just the expression to me is something like, I've got something to say and world, I hope you're listening. So I wanted to get a really strong photograph here um, uh, in this list of album covers. And this is one I chose. So let me know if you agree. Um, and we're hearing from people. Yes, uh, you know, Lavinia is saying, still love buying albums. She loves the album. She loves the album cover art over digital. Me too, Lavinia. Don't get me wrong. I love the ease uh, of just being able to click play on any album in the world, but there's something about having a physical album in your hands uh, that kind of transforms the musical experience. And um, let's see who else has written in because I've seen some mentioning of album covers here as well. Uh, Matt Merowitz, Todd Sikafuz's Tiny Resistors. That is a pretty cool album cover. And uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and bring up my honorable mentions here. Um, I mentioned the David Stone Martin, and here's another one by the master. Uh, as I said, he used to do a lot of Norman Granz's uh, jazz at the Philharmonic series. And I just love here. Hmm. Maybe it takes a little while to transition over. But the one he did for volume four of jazz at the Philharmonic is just so cool to me. It's of this trumpet player, but it's this great angle of shooting up from the trumpet. You see the trumpet player's whole body. He's got the music stand there. Let's see. There it is. Um, yeah, and, and who's on this album? Charlie Parker, Coleman Hawkins, Buddy Rich, Irving Ashby, Lester Young, Willie Smith, Buck Clayton, Kenny. So I you've probably you may have seen this in posters. Again, it's that bold line um, by David Stone Martin and the combination of the colors that kind of bleed out from the line. Uh, a lot of the designers I talked to for the new article, um, they say they were inspired by things like comic books and Mad Magazine, especially and newspaper comic prints. And David Stone Martin 
totally fell into that groove um, and spoke to the, a lot of these designers. I think two of the six designers I spoke to claimed that David Stone Martin was their biggest influence. Um, I also did this one just because this is probably the most extravagant album cover out there. And Jeff, we can click refresh on that guy. Um, you've seen it. You know it. It is... <laughs> Return to Forever's Romantic Warrior. Um, again, really kind of summarizes the music, summarizes the mood of this thing. Here is the Romantic Warrior riding into battle, gallantly beautiful. And that's that's the vibe of this music, which was fusion of a different sort. You know, we already had uh, Miles Davis's Bitches Brew up there, which was totally raucous, really kind of channeling rock and funk and psychedelia and i feel like chick in some ways took it to a little bit of a quieter place um the publisher our publisher michael fagan has a great story about walking into al demiola's house and one of the first thing he sees the guitarist uh in return to forever was this huge portrait of this painting uh up in uh, up in the wall so it's a this is iconic it is uh, gary saying romantic warrior boom yes gary knows he understands um but anyway yes that is those are my honorable mentions so many though really um we could have made this list 10 20 30 and i appreciate you again everybody for for writing in, letting us know about uh, your favorite covers. And um, yeah, as I mentioned, this uh, uh, issue in which we talk about famous album covers, in which we talk about producing albums, in which we talk about the art of listening to albums is coming out in September. It is our fall 2020 issue. And like I said, you subscribe now. You get to unlock all of our digital content. We've got podcasts. we got playlists. Um, we've got exclusive interviews, including one I just did with Guitar John Schofield that is live and on our site right now. Um, you can unlock all of that for three months for just 99 cents per month. Plus, we'll enroll you to receive this uh, uh, art of the album issue for free. Um, come September. If you like the subscription, you just stay on. It's yours. You'll get a new print issue every quarter, a 100-page premium print issue every quarter, including two collector quality CDs. Uh, if you don't, you cancel at any time, but I think you're really, really going to like it. Um, wanted to quickly thank before we head out for today, uh, the show sponsor, that would be Cambridge audio. They are makers of some of the finest audio equipment in the world. You can check out their incredibly stylish premium Alva TT, the world's first Bluetooth APTX HD turntable that lets you put the turntable anywhere in the room. More info is at cambridgeaudio.com. And Hey, we are talking album covers after all. So I know we're all very much into vinyl. You're going to need a, uh, a, Record player, you're going to need a turntable, and uh, you know, Bluetooth is very much the present, so might as well make it a Bluetooth one. Um, let's see, wanted to let you know what is coming up in the show for the week. Tomorrow, we're going to be talking to Dave Weckle, drummer Dave Weckle. Um, a lot of people know him from Chick Corea's acoustic band, Electric Band. He just released a new EP with his wife, Clivia Tenisi. So we're going to be talking to them about that tomorrow. And we're going to be finishing up with uh, Norman Brown, the guitarist who has put out a new album, hugely influenced by Wes Montgomery. So we're going to be talking some Wes. We're going to be talking about just classic jazz guitar with Norman Brown. Should be really cool. Thanks for sticking around everyone and uh yeah we will certainly let you know next time we do one of these shows where it's kind of more interactive kind of more uh you know of communal it's a great jam session and again i appreciate you all 
for chiming in. That'll do it for tonight's episode. Thank you so much for watching, everyone. Follow us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Jazz's Last Call. I'm going to shut down the bar. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Brian Zimmerman, so long, everyone. <laughs>